Hello, Heron. Hello, Tom. So, I hear a full glass, and I received a quick call, so I guess the need is great. Do you have any topics you'd like to raise this evening? Nope. You said you had plenty of them. So. Oh, I do. <laughs> I have a list. They, they come in order, and they come thick and fast. Actually, very few of these topics are supplied by listeners, so maybe I should start by saying, listeners out there, if you want Heron and me to ramble on any number of topics, the easiest way to do it is to submit it through Facebook or email or hit up Heron on Skype. And, um, well, I, actually, I, I should begin by that point. Last week, I wasn't able to make the call, but you were able to chat with Peter Stimple. Yeah, we had a nice talk. Peter Stimple's a very interesting man. Yes. Yeah, we had a good talk. Yeah. Not particularly one-dimensional, multifaceted. Lots of stuff going on. So yeah, yeah, interesting guy. I'm. Uh, I imagine we'll have another conversation sometime. <laughs> I hope. Very good. So yeah, for other listeners that would like to talk to Aaron, my hope is actually that we can move more back to the weekly format. We've kind of drifted away from the weekly format recently, but uh, on the weeks that I can't make it, Aaron is open and willing to take calls. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, that, on any time, I'm always willing to take calls, but text me first. <laughs> yes, yes. So, last weekend, there was an election in Australia. Oh, yeah, I heard about that, yeah. And, I don't know, I think I was a little tired, I was a little irritable, I'm not really sure what was going on. But truth be told, probably each election in Australia, I post at least one provocative thing to Facebook. <laughs> Because, as one may have gathered by listening to this particular recording, I don't have a lot of time for politicians in general, but I particularly don't like Australian politicians. And there's all this really kind of curious nonsense that, because of compulsory voting, fundamentally, folks in Australia... Feel what happens if you don't vote? Well, you see, I pose, and this is the case. I mean, look, there are laws on the books, and the laws on the books go like this. Firstly, let's let's talk about how they get you into voting in the first place. There is uh, an electoral roll, uh, a register of folks above the age of 18. If you are above the age of 18 and you are not on the roll, then there is a fine, and I think following jail time if you don't pay the fine or if you don't get on the roll. <laughs> and my Jesus. experience is... So you is, have to go enroll or they put you in jail. Well, they, they try do to they fine you. they actually do this? Okay, I, so you're on the roll, but what if you just don't show up? Okay, so let's go through the process. So <laughs> initially, in order to get people on the roll, my experience, the experience of my friends, this may have changed in the past 10, 15 years, is that they go door-to-door to make sure that all, you know, all upcoming teenagers of the age of 18 are on the roll. And if you are Maybe on you the get roll, an ID card or something when you're, when you're on the roll? I'm or, not sure. I think yeah. you just, you're just basically registered to vote in your particular municipality. I mean, similar okay. to the U.S. in that regard. Okay. But if you don't vote, uh, you are sent a fine. And if you don't pay the fine, that's when the... Or if you don't vote on multiple occasions... That's when you have to go before the judge, apparently. Now, I mean, this is, these are the laws on the books. All I'm stating are the laws yeah. on the books. Yeah, right, yeah. Whether the it actually is. The enforcement of the laws is something slightly more interesting, but most people don't even think they just vote. Yeah, I would imagine, uh, well, yeah, that would be the easiest thing to do. You hmm. just go cross off some boxes, just get all the, le all the ones in the left column. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. problem, the problem about you could actually have some some uh, fun with that. You could have a, see how quick you can vote. 
my recollection as I was leaving <laughs> Australia is that they were computerizing the ballot system so that it was like previously my father in particular sorry I probably should say someone who I knew um would uh you know uh basically you know write cuss words and various other things on the voting register <laughs> or voting paper the ballot and then hand that in smugly and wander off no longer is this possible apparently apparently there are actually checks now. you have to, yeah, it's either a b or c yeah. <laughs> no f or u anyway yeah, right, so, yeah. so yeah every every um you know every election there seems to be some kind of caricature and in this election, there was a fellow called, I believe his name is Tony Abbott. Abbott, yeah, now, right. Tony, the, thing, yeah. the curious thing about Tony Abbott was that, I don't know, 16 years ago, just when I was entering university, he was in a defamation lawsuit against a relatively jovial alcoholic author who wrote a book indicating that he had previously been with the other party, the Labour Party, and then because he was interested in a girl at university, he'd converted over to the Liberal Party. Well, I can't think of a better reason. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, this was so offensive to him that he took the author, he and his buddy, whose name was Costello, I seem to recall, took the author to court to try and resolve this matter. And I think the author had to pay out some money. But the guy, no, no. So anyway, yeah. my view is that both major parties in Australia cut from the same cloth. At a distance, they're completely and utterly indistinguishable. The Labour Party, which is nominally the... Even less so than the United States, probably. Well, compulsory voting does strange things. I mean, people yeah. are born into political parties in Australia. They Well, they are here, too. Well, yes, to a certain extent, you're right. Sure. Huh. But the fact that you, you have to vote or be yeah. one of these curious, fined, and then prison-timed individuals... Makes it so if you're rich, you don't have to vote. You can just pay the fine. And well, if you're rich, you're probably going to have a buddy who's a politician anyway. Yeah, right, yeah. Okay. So anyway, I, I posted, I think, two things on Facebook. Well, one, actually, I posted twice because I posted once on my cousin's uh, wall because she said that she was going to unfriend anyone who didn't vote along a particular line. <laughs> and I responded accordingly. And I also posted because I was just getting such a tyrant of complaints from these people in Australia that I found that the airline ticket was far more liberating than the ballot. And that basically <laughs> those that were complaining should just get on a plane and realize that Australia yeah, go probably, somewhere that yeah, is, is not there. A right. little less stupid. Exactly. So, Good luck in finding a place. Yeah. So out of, <laughs> I don't know, out of about. 300, maybe 400 Australian friends on Facebook. Only one person seemed to be offended from this narrative. And this is a fellow who has peered periodically on Model Rail Radio. In fact, truth be told, he's building a kit currently, or he claims to be anyway. I'm not sure whether he still is after this election business. But anyway, he said that he was proud to be an Australian, and he was <laughs> sad that I was not proud to be an Australian. And yeah. I actually took a bit of umbrage against this because my critique of Australia, and they've done vast quantities of damage to the point where I would not want to live there, relates to Australian politicians. It doesn't rate, relate to Australian yeah. people. Yeah, yeah, You know, and I think that you, you're offending our supposed politicians. Yeah. So, On the other hand, you know, the people seem to get pretty much what they fucking deserve. 
as far as I can see. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Americans can say the same thing, you know. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, I pay my taxes, but they're not they don't represent me. Yeah, but you're paying for the fucking bombs. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I'm paying for the bombs, I should say. So, you know, it, it left me with a kind of deconstruction and maybe I shouldn't be like this. Maybe I should just appreciate that my particularly obscure political viewpoint probably will do little to win friends and influence people when it's actually put out in a on a form like Facebook. Well, those most of those people are beyond help. They're brain dead, not brain damaged, they're brain dead language monkeys. Well, the thing that struck know? me about it, which I actually found really quite uplifting, was that a majority of the folk of my age group and younger yeah. were basically like right on. Exactly yeah. right. You know, <laughs> yeah. compulsory voting is stupid. This whole thing is ridiculous. Well, you know, it's funny. That doesn't bother the compulsory voting thing. Doesn't bother me at all. Well, it uh, would if you were part of it. I well, think. well, maybe. But I mean, if you're going to have a democracy, then well, I would say you know, I would I would give you an out. You you if you don't, but if you don't vote, then you don't get any right to complain. Well, that's my view, and that's why I left. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That, yeah. If if yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> because ultimately, yeah, who's going to listen? You might as well just get out yeah. and not be covered with this emotional baggage. Yeah. Yeah. And funnily it, enough, we we do have actually a contingent of Australian listeners that are expats. I mean, we do have a group of listeners that are yeah. Australians that have left Australia. Good. They're Earthlings now. Yes. So anyway, as I was reflecting on how it was probably slightly careless of me to post such aggressive political uh, viewpoints on Facebook. <laughs> I, um, oh, no, no, it, it's it's perfect move, man. It, it weeds out. You know, it, it draws the lines very clearly. I, you know? I, mean, I mean, in reflection, we have so many callers and so many participants in Model Rail Radio that if I lose a couple along the way because they deem uh, me to be obnoxious. Yeah, fine. Yeah. Who cares? There are plenty more to fill their space. That's right. So I'm not particularly fussed. However, this was a kind of lingering Not emotion. any of them like Peter Stemple, though, I'll bet. Uh, I'm surprised, <laughs> actually. I mean, look, a majority of our listeners are actually Model Rail Radio folk that have come over. So, really? That's, yeah, yeah that's, that's fascinating, you know? I mean, that just... Well, I like sumo. What can you say about that? You know? I mean... <laughs> you know? <Yes>. I mean... <laughs> yeah. So, I give up, yeah. I can't, I can't categorize. Well, I can still, yeah, I can still make fun of model rail, railroad stuff. Yes. But we both know I'm full of shit, so it's okay. I think the audience is comfortable with this as well, Harold. <laughs> so, yeah, somehow I stumbled into a discussion with KMO, which put me on his September 11th show, which historically has been a, he's, I guess, devoted it to various kind of conspiracist movements associated with, 9-11. And I, I'm like the doorstop to that, which he, he put in there so we could talk about, I don't know, statistics of Iraqi casualties, the history of, you know, conflict leading up to September 11th and various other things. I was actually surprised with how few nuts came out of the woodwork based on that narrative. So we recorded last Sunday... And, of course, I think Obama was on the telly maybe either Monday or Tuesday saying that he wasn't actually going to do anything without a, a vote, a congressional vote associated with Syria. The audio was released Wednesday. By Thursday, I, I actually quite aggressively instigated 
the truth of listeners to get in contact with me via email. Of course, by Thursday, none of them had. Uh, but by Thursday afternoon, there was one blog post associated with an open letter to KMO that made various disparaging remarks. The interesting thing was we recorded about an hour and a half of audio, but quite tactically, and very much part of a conspiracy, and KMO <laughs> only put out half the audio in his free-to-air podcast and put the other half the audio in his paid subscription podcast, The Vault. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if any truthers can actually afford The Vault, so I don't really get a sense <laughs> of whether they'll actually yeah. listen to the other half. Yeah. So he divided the conversation into four parts and removed two of the more interesting sections and put them in this paid-for-content section. So the folks who did correspond on some particularly their own, you know, their own line, they didn't hear the whole audio. In fact, no one's heard the whole audio. And I said to KMO in correspondence today, I have the full audio because obviously I record the side of the court yeah. as well. And I said, look, you know, if anyone does get in contact with me, and one fellow has, I will actually give them the, the, the link to thing. the full audio yeah. so they can listen to, to it from end to end. Yeah. So the, there was this one guy, like I said, who did an extended blog post, which missed actually the fact that KMO had cut half the audio. He said that I didn't answer a question. In fact, KMO just cut the audio as I was starting to answer the question as a teaser to get people over to the vault. Yeah. But um, no, I got probably three emails from the same guy who, yeah, it's three oh. emails. Yes. <laughs> okay. And basically, PSs to the first one. Yeah, right? you know that was yeah. that was. Oh, and I and and furthermore, yeah, furthermore, you need to read these documents attached. You know, uh, which is just I think the nature of these. Although I'm sure a number of the truth is because I pointed a number of folks to this particular podcast. So if they had any questions or commentary, they could oh, certainly raise man. it to you. We don't have an equivalent of the Volterran. I mean, almost all of what we do goes out. Yeah, to, yeah well, uh, mine is just my backlog. That's <laughs> <laughs> my yeah. vault. So It's up to like 80 now. <laughs> but, yeah, I guess probably either yesterday or today it occurred to me that I'm just trying to instigate with the wrong kinds of groups here. You know, the whole truth movement is just, as far as I can see, completely you know, dead in the water now. I mean, there just seems to be no... And I think, You're talking about 9-11 or just conspiracies in general? No, well, they all the seem to dabble in conspiracies in general. I mean, this fellow stuff. who sent me three emails was also talking about JFK. <laughs> and I said, look, you, you can listen to my body of work. I'm actually really fascinated by JFK conspiracies. I just find them all equally incoherent, but then the official story is even is more incoherent. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> Good luck making sense out of any so, of this. So, yeah, I just say it's all like a, a plurality of, of crazy. Well, it all gets down to this concept that somehow we can know what the truth is. Yes. You know, and that's, and that's just purely a fucking linguistic malfunction. Yeah. The, the whole idea of the truth it's just absurd on the face of it. Yeah. And uh and that that one thing would end all of that bullshit. Yeah, you know, that realization. Well, yes, except I think people are very I mean what the, what this has shown, this interaction has shown, if ever this needed to be proved, was that um people actually like the truth. It's comforting to them. 
that they well, have primary I, access to the yes, truth. Yes, of course. Yeah, but it also creates a lot of other problems. That's fine if they want to focus on that, but it creates enormous problems yes. uh, in other dimensions. So, yeah, they like the good stuff, but they don't like the other crap that comes along with the, the illusion of the truth. <laughs> yes. Yes. And you got to dump it all. That's the thing. Yeah, the bad stuff goes, but so does the good stuff. Yes. Well, actually, I mean, the, the beauty of discarding the truth as a concept is that you can actually graze on information quite casually and not yes, really And you can care. put together a, a m multiple theories exactly. and, and juggle them and mix them and try yes. to see if you can find new connections. Yes. And, and, uh, and you don't have to throw any of them out. Yeah. So one of the interesting bits of correspondence that was posted on the Sea Realm Facebook group was from a fellow who I guess was in the Air Force at the time of the 9-11 attacks. I mean, he was actually stationed and ready to go through the 9-11 attacks. And he made the point that irrespective of the narrative leading up to 9-11, you know, there were some of us that were, you know, duty-bound to defend the country. And I thought to myself, that... That phenomena, that whole narrative associated with the honor of, you know, being on the tarmac ready to defend the country <laughs> versus actually defending yeah. the country. But yeah. also, I guess what my view is of the notion of a job. Like, because we have a volunteer. So a career. Well, a career, yes. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, let's yeah. call it even more. Yeah. So, yeah, it is a, it is a striking thing that, um, yeah. Funnily enough, this guy who sent me three e emails, one of the things he was talking about was the notion that there was a lot of, um, like, what, what do they call it? Like, you know, in the, during peacetime, the military actually has very little to do. So what they do is they simulate attacks and they go on these, yeah. um, you know, organized Yeah, they stay, they try to stay ready. Yeah. Exactly. But no, they actually, they actually conduct, um, you know, they have these, I guess, friendly engagements. I mean, the big discussion was that Egypt and the US was going to have one of these yeah. engagements where they just, yeah. I guess, tested each other's military, but because yeah. of what's going on currently, I guess the military needs to stay in Egypt. And well, the that's the standard thing. That's, that was exactly yeah. the point that yeah. I made to yeah. the fellow, and he said, well, you were just unaware of the events that happened on September 11th. I thought, hmm, well, maybe he's unaware of just the extent of the military and what the, when they do these maneuvers and actions and counteractions and all this other kind of stuff. I mean, that's their job. That's what they do. Yeah. If they were just sitting in ready. Yeah. Well, what should they be doing? Yeah. Sitting in the cantina. Yeah. Just saying, <laughs> getting it'll be drunk. great when war breaks out and we actually have something to do, you know? So yeah. yes, it is, it is very curious. It's almost, um, imagine what the military could be if there were no nations and no need for war. If they were just an organized group of people who could take care of emergency situations uh, and serve the planet. Yeah, well, we kind of have those people already. I mean, my view is that the military in that circumstance doesn't need to exist. It just fulfills the role of, you know, like the Coast Guard or... Yeah. Well, again, in a real world, in a sensible world, there'd be no need for military at all. Yeah. You know, but there would be need for people who can handle emergency situations Certainly. and, um, and security situations. There may, you know, there are all sorts of possible needs, but it's really about organization. That's the issue is can we organize ourselves to deal with the issues that face us? And military organization is kind of an interesting 
Well, I mean, it's one example of a system that works, you know. To a certain extent. I mean, yeah, I think the, yeah. the thing that interests me is the changes, and really, as I, <laughs> I dare not even say this out loud, but let me. Oh, as go I, ahead. As, as I collect kind <laughs> of Cub Scout literature and have some interest in scouting literature, I probably also should. You're consider- right, you shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Never well, mind. <laughs> I, no, but I mean, I, I have a small number of, um, like military handbooks, typically infantry handbooks. Yeah. But within my, within my kind of broad book collection, they're always really thin and detailed. I mean, they're dense works, but I do have an interest in the way, you know, soldiers are instructed, particularly infantry personnel. Yeah. Because I think it's fascinating. There's been a distinct evolution in terms of, you know, the role of the infantry. Yeah. And, you know, that in and of itself is a, an intellectual study that, you know, can, can yeah. be done. Monastic um, rules are, are an interesting organization, too. Uh, you know, was it the St. Vincent de Paul Society has a... Uh, has a rule book for how, how to get organized and get things done. And there, you know, there are all sorts of interesting models out there for, certainly for, you know, how we, how do we organize? And, and I mean, that's crucial too. I mean, cause that's really what we're, if we're going to get beyond nation states and we're going to get beyond representative democracy, then that leaves you and me <laughs> to run the planet. You know, we're going to have to figure out a way so, so that whoever wants to can get involved directly with managing the planet with no government. So in 2000, it was just after I gave my talk at Stanford because one of the folks involved with that approached me afterwards and asked me to write a grant proposal. And it was a grant proposal actually associated with um, like emergency response, like simulating emergency response. And the noble apes obviously would either be the, you know, the panicking normal folk or the emergency responders. And I wrote maybe 10 pages on this as a kind of hypothetical, you know, thing to get funding for. But I know a fellow who I've referenced previously called Stephen Gurin, who is at Santa Fe in New Mexico, and he actually has a company that writes these kind of simulations. There's actually a history of computer simulation being used to model you know, these kind of disasters and how Mm. you become prepared. But also um, how you best utilize skilled people in these circumstances. Yeah. I mean, the, the textbook case against the way the... Sh- and what skills are necessary, yes. too. I mean, just getting clear about that. You yeah. Know, and, and, and their relative importance. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly look back at September 11th in terms of what went on in New York as an indication that, yeah, the, the, there are certainly certain circumstances where organized responders are not best utilized and oftentimes are actually putting themselves more in danger than they are actually doing good. And it yeah. is an interesting, yeah. Yeah. It is an interesting yeah. principle to think about. I mean, what I was looking at. What's well, called triage. Certainly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. On, on many different levels. Actually. Yes. Yeah. There are sometimes you just uh, go put your effort somewhere else. Yeah. Yes. But it's interesting, actually, over the past two weeks, I have put in at least two hours every evening into Noble Ape. And in speaking of monastic principles, it's been something that I've been doing quite, I mean, independent of whether I'm tired or independent of a variety of factors, yeah, I've been just forcing make, myself yeah, to do it. You make the time and do it. Yeah. And in large part, it's because we've already discussed this idea of a startup. But at the same point, 
I have a kind of golden age of noble ape in my mind associated with when the simulation could do various things. And there have been probably half a dozen bugs that have actually irritated me sufficient that I've invested the time recently to try and scrub them out. In parallel to this, obviously, uh, there's been Apple's announcement associated with their new 64-bit mobile device. Yeah. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah, that's uh, that's right. That's your game. <laughs> and yeah, Noblelife is actually perfectly positioned to create a really quite interesting and complex 64-bit simulation, which I think could have some user interactive components as well. On so, for the iPad. Uh, well, for the iPhone initially, and if they release a 64-bit iPad, yes. Oh, of course well. they will. I mean, that's you know. <laughs> That, that would be crazy not to. Yeah. I'm interested in temperature with that device, actually. I mean, I haven't, obviously no one's gotten their hands onto one yet. But it'll be interesting to see how yeah. hot the device gets. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm looking. I'm going to get the, well, yeah, I'm going to get a new iPad when they come out. And I guess one of the new iPhones. Mostly for the camera, though. I, I'm perfectly happy with the phone I've got. But, but uh, the camera sucks. It's useless. <laughs> yes. Yes. We had casually flirted with the idea of having folks call us during the recording. <laughs> mm-hmm. I have had the opportunity to talk to uh, one of the two participants that attempted this last recording, but we've come to the decision basically that the dynamic that we have is somewhat perturbed when we have other folks in- involved in this thing. Yeah, yeah. I, it might work with the right person, but uh it would have yeah it has to be carefully considered i think just open mics is not going to work for us yes as far as i can see yes so it works for me and it might work for you but it doesn't work for us <laughs> yeah it is an interesting phenomenon actually because i think um yeah it certainly it becomes something that it isn't very yeah. quickly and yeah so for folks unfortunately the way to participate in uh in these particular recordings, is to submit questions. Yeah, yeah, that is unfortunate. Um, well, but on the other hand, uh, you can always, well, I'm speaking for myself, you can always call me. If there's something you really want to talk about, call me. And it won't get on Stone Ape, but it'll get in my, well, it'll, it'll go into my backlog, <laughs> into my archive, that it, it someday will be edited and uh, published. I'm I'm a little behind right now, but uh, but uh, I'm still uh, making recordings and putting them in the queue. It is an interesting phenomenon, actually, because I'm increasingly less interested in talking to people. I mean, it's funny actually because with Model Rail Radio, I have a recording that I'm yet to put out, and I you know I enjoy doing Model Rail Radio, but there are two people now, and probably a couple more to be added who've asked explicitly that they want to do, you know, conversations with me in the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Truth be told, relating to their specific projects, not yeah. associated with yeah. anything that I'm, you know, involved in in any meaningful sense. But it is it is an interesting phenomenon because aside from folks such as yourself and occasionally KMO, I mean, really in this kind of format, I'd much rather you know, be reading or working on overlay yeah, or doing yeah. something else. Well, for know? me, uh, talking to people is part of my research. 
Yes. So uh, it's very helpful for me, and I'm very excited when I get to talk to somebody I haven't talked to before, and they have questions or challenges or to any of the ideas that I'm proposing. Uh, that's really helpful to me to to learn to deal with all this stuff. So yes. uh, it's just it's yeah, that's just part of the game for me. So, but you're right. I'm not interested in talking to most humans <laughs> for most general purpose topics. I, you know, I, I have no interest in that at all. You know? Yeah. And I think, yeah, I'm, I'm starting to feel a similar way. I mean, I'm, I'm genuinely like, in fact, I'm taking a day off this month to when listeners, Model Rail Radio listeners come through town. And, you know, I do like to make time for people if they're coming through my area and they're familiar with my prior work. That's kind of a nice thing to do. Yeah. But, yeah, um, yeah the, the pitch new projects and these kind of things and, you know, I'll have the startup idea, all this kind of stuff. I mean, I'm moderately sympathetic to it, but increasingly I think my time is a, a commodity I'd rather spend care. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's precious. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah. So I, I came to a realization, and maybe some of the listeners have, and I wanted to float this idea with you. I mean, my, my view is that this may not be something that you're particularly receptive to, but it did strike <laughs> me. And I mean, there is a kind of historical legacy associated with these kind of things. In terms of the idea of the language monkey, you have previously put forward that the earthling is the, the opposite of the language monkey. No, it's certainly not the opposite. No, it's well, just it's the, the next stage. The next stage. Yeah, when uh, you outgrow being a, uh, yeah, when you wake up from being a language monkey, uh, you are now an Earthling. So it occurred to me, and, and again, you know, I haven't really rigorously defined any of this shit. You know, these are just terms I throw around. Yeah. So. <laughs> so quite by chance, it occurred to me that perhaps the stone ape is the next general or the the educated the stonian educated language monkey well that would be self contradictory wouldn't it <laughs> well yeah i mean on some see that's the thing that's why i say this suffers in some sense from me not having rigorously defined these terms language monkey is a very fluid term that can be used in lots of ways usually it's sort of derogatory funny but it also could just be seen as a, a description of uh, the species, you know, the language monkeys. I mean, you got all these different monkeys and, you know, and, and you got this one group that's a language monkey. You know, so even even earthlings are still language monkeys in, in that sense. Biologically, they're a member of that biological species, uh, which I'm calling language monkeys, which I guess could be homo linguis or something. I don't know. Uh -huh. But the notion of the stone ape uh -huh. is something that is distinct from this. Okay, well, see, I've, I, I have no image of stone ape. I've, I've never had much of an image for that. I've never really liked the, that name. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't have an image for that. Okay. I, I, so, but you do, though. So, so maybe that'll become my image of well, it. Well, I mean, I, I think it's an interesting idea. I mean, certainly... Well, what is the idea then? Tell me. Well, it just occurred to me, language monkey, stone ape. I mean, it's, you know, it, it seems to me to be a continuation. Well, of the, stoned ape might Well, might that's work. McKenna's. That's yeah, McKenna's right, yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, but that makes more <laughs> sense. <laughs> well, 
<laughs> stone ape. Okay, I don't get it. Then I guess I just don't get stone ape. What is so? What is it about that that you find interesting? Well, stone. The notion. The notion of. I hesitate to use the term teaching. Your shtick. That are very good with regards to. You That's know. what I need. A, I need to come up with a good name. Shtick is pretty good, I guess. <laughs> Until I come up with something a little more academic sounding. But yeah. go on. Yeah. But, I mean, it just occurred to me, and it was really just. I call them rants sometimes. <laughs> but you know, I, I think there's certainly a group of people here who are very receptive to your ideas, and the notion of the stone ape versus the language monkey mm-hmm. in some kind of are you saying Stone Ape is sort of like what I'm calling an Earthling? Yeah. Okay. I mean, so it's, just, it's another word for Earthling. Yeah. Okay, rather than calling them Earthlings, calling them Stone Apes. Yeah. As, as Stone Apes as opposed to... Language Monkey. Oh, okay. Language Monkey. So you got homo, you got a, your regular unwashed brain-dead Language Monkey. <laughs> well, the Language it, Monkey it, scum is somewhere there. Isn't that's it? right. That's right. Something like that. I don't remember. That's, we should go back to that. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, you got your low-class... <laughs> unenlightened <laughs> language monkeys, which is apparently about 98% of them at this point. Apparently so. And then you've got stone apes. Yes. Okay. All right. You're What's wrong with Earthling? To this. Well, Earthling's kind of... I don't know. The, the problem with Earthling is it's already, it's already an idea. You know? Yeah, right. That's part of its usefulness, I think. It's not really branded. Ah, well. You couldn't put a trademark on Earthling. Oh, okay. Well, but you can on Language Monkey, probably. You can. (laughs) Probably slightly more. Yeah. Anyway, it's an idea that I just wanted to throw yeah, okay, out. I wanted right. listener feedback, well, and you, yeah, you're far less hostile than I imagined you would be associated well, with this. Well, thing. like I say, I just uh, hadn't really thought about it, you know, as a, an alternative term. I'm not particularly happy with Earthling, hmm. um, but I haven't found the term that I actually like. I used to be using the term homo lumens. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but that was a little, what, um... That's the word I'm looking for. Anyway, full of itself. Yes. That's, <laughs> Lack that's of a better term. That's a way of putting it, indeed. Yeah. Indeed. But that's, uh, that's not a bad term, homo lumens. And I, and, but I think as I'm not sure we, well, yeah, I do think we need a term. I need, I think we need a term for people who are not brain dead language monkeys, people who have woken up from the trance of language and actually, understand what a mysterious fucking world we live in. Well, I'll put it out to the listeners that if they like the idea of the Stone Yeah, let's see what then, they have to say. Yeah. yeah. Stone Ape. So you got your language monkeys, you got your language monkey scum shit, yeah. and, and then you got your uh, you got your Stone Apes. Yeah. Okay. Am I pronouncing it right? Your Stone Apes? That's fine. Yeah, okay. It's not a Stone Ape. Well, it, one standing by itself is a Stone Ape. Okay, well, it couldn't be one stone ape? Yes, I guess so. <laughs> it just can't be the stone ape. Well, no, okay, the stone ape? <laughs> no, you're right. That would have to be the stone ape. Exactly. The stone ape? Yes. Oh, so. well, we'll work this out later. <laughs> so, I wanted to throw out a topic from a new listener, and if I had my wits about me, I'd have the new listener's name. 
Uh, yes, you would. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, unfortunately, new listener, you will become someone once um, in, in a future show, no doubt. But we'll figure you, this out. Thank yeah. you for, for submitting this uh, particular topic. The topic is nature nurture. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, good. Uh huh. Which I think is an interesting, it's something that I reflect on periodically. It was interesting. Wait a minute, actually. that's the question? That's it? Yes. Nature nurture. Okay. Yes. Right. Yes. Right. Yes. We can make this into a question without question. Oh, absolutely. But, well, okay. Yeah. So you, when, when we last talked, you mentioned the fact That's that not you, much of a question. He really, listener, come on. You know, I mean, Jesus Christ, what the hell am I supposed to do with nature nurture? Let's Talk create for something seven out of hours it. About let's that. create something out of it, Harry. Let's uh, not just No, let's it. not. It's a stupid argument. Well, it's usually termed we it, don't it's have nature to do that. or nurture. We don't it's obviously have to do both that. nature exactly. and nurture. So let's and That's let's, the end of the argument. But <laughs> Isn't I think, it? Well, no, <laughs> let's let's explore this. Okay. So when we last spoke, you mentioned that you had a brother who was two years older than you. Yes. And you mentioned the fact that he and you... Oh, yes, shared all these linguistic... Um, yes. F- weirdnesses, yes. Yeah. Yeah, that was that some... Yeah, clearly, <laughs> nature has a lot to do with it. There's no way around that. It is interesting, actually, because I feel distinctly alien from... In almost all circumstances, from those that I am related to, or at least Mm -hmm. apparently related to. Ah, so you know, that's interesting because I was adopted and I always felt unrelated to them. (laughs) And when I met my, my, uh, natural family, I actually, I mean, even though I didn't even know them, I could see, I could see who, who I, who I came from. It all made sense. Yes. You know, because none of the people I grew up with, I mean, I've always been a weirdo, you know? The, the, yeah. But you, that's not your experience. Well, I've always been a weirdo. It's just my family has been <laughs> yeah. not like me, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is interesting because I really feel... I mean, I feel this when I meet people. I feel this with general interaction that I just have to be very comfortable in the fact that there are very few, if any, people like me. And then I just need to come to terms with the fact that the things that I find enjoyment in. Yeah, most people don't. Most people don't. But more importantly, that I should just be at peace with that. That the notion. Well, how else could you be? I mean, how else should, what else, what other position would make any sense to take? I mean, you certainly, you certainly hear of examples of people who are tortured by. Wait wait a minute. Wait a minute. How old are you? Uh, I will be in less than a month. I will be thirty-seven. Okay. Oh, see, that's that explains it. Never mind. You know, you're a fucking punk kid. You know, you. It takes a while to catch on. Eventually, well, see, you're beginning to catch on. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yes. But I guess I guess my view is that this whole I've always been suspicious of the nature component of. Well, I've been suspicious of both nature and nurture. Well, you should be. Yes. But you should be open to, to, to understanding that both are influential. Yes. And neither are influential as well. No, they're both influential. No, I would disagree. I okay. mean, my, my view is that actually, aside from nature and nurture, there is something that is independent of that. 
I mean, nurture, I guess. For oh, okay, well, you see, that would help if you explain what you know that you don't aren't accepting the normal theory here. This is exactly <laughs> what I'm doing here. Okay, so there's nature and nurture, and then there's what? Well, I think there are two additional components. The first is purely self-justified, and what, what, what I mean that? by that is that there is something. It's this notion of like a priori that independent of nature and nurture that one can basically independently create whatever one chooses. I mean, my view with nature is that it's a, it's a claim to a biological something. Yeah, pretty much. That's talking about genetics, and is, nurture is talking about the, in, the influence in the environment and your experience. Well, that's interesting, you see. At least that's the way I see it. I see your experience as being independent from nurture. Oh, really? You see, oh, okay. I see nurture as really... I see them as the same external. thing. Well... I, I would. I wouldn't even say nurse. Nature nurture is a language game. I would yeah. call it genetics and experience. Yes. Well, I would probably call or environment. It, actually, yes. it's probably well, better. Genetics is, and environment. And environment includes experience. I guess. For me. I guess my sense is that there is something independent of environment that is almost okay. self-created. Okay. And here again, because... Hey, meta getting way metaphysical on me here. Skippy. This is beginning to sound like, you know, Elan Vital or something. <laughs> <laughs> Heaven forbid. Heaven forbid. But also... Okay, so, so something is not nature and is not nurture, uh, which but is we can't say what it is. No, I can say what it is. It's, okay. it's self-generated. You... Well, it's independent. That's... Nurture is something which is... The notion of nurturing, well, oh, the oh, notion of nurturing a child is very different from the child coming to its own realizations. It's like an imposition to bring a child. I mean, it's it's the society, you know, nurtures the child. But I think there are two independent. Well, the entire environment, the child, as a nurture again, both those terms are loaded. They're, exactly. they're useless scientifically. Exactly. So we're not talking about nurture. Yeah. We're talking about the environment an individual is raised in and, and, and how that contributes to what he develops into. Mm. There is another component which one might call randomness or luck. And I think... That's not sh- part of the environment? No. Okay. I think there are certain things that occur through just living which are, which are basically random. By nature, but in some regard, could be thought of as luck. I don't see how that's all you're saying is our experience is varied. What 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 are what are you saying? What what, what does that mean that it's random? I mean, it's just it's just experience. So I reflect on people like well, Steve Wozniak is a good example of this. Steve Wozniak, I, in terms of his brilliance and his ability to you know, create optimizations and simplifications and yeah. new circuit yeah. boards, these kind of things. Yeah. He's pretty darn smart, but he's not unique in that knowledge. No, he's lucky he got hooked up with Steve. That's exactly <laughs> my point. And yeah. that is I, not to do with nurture. That's the environment. It's not to do oh, with no, it's not. It has nothing to do with nurture. You're right. It has to do with the environment he's in. Interesting. Yes. So these are the four components that I will, that I think of in terms of this Kind of broad structure. Genetics are there. Okay, okay. Genetics, nurture, which I think is an external thing that has put. Wait a minute, but when you when you say nurture, you you don't mean environment. You mean nurture. I mean, you mean the mother caressing the baby and all that shit. Yes, socially. That's what you mean. Okay. 
then I but think you don't call that part of the environment. Well, the environment here is far. The environment here is got is it's cosmic. Yes, <laughs> and it's you see, you're right. The nature nurture distinction when it's just two possibilities, then all this additional stuff is lobbed into nurture. Yeah, right, which is nonsense. Nurture, again, yeah, nature nurture is a really bad way to say. I never really thought about that before until just now. Yes. And I realize, I mean, you can, we throw that around nature nurture and, and usually that, you know, that's sort of a useful distinction. Yes. But if you want to get really picky, those are really useless terms. Exactly. Yeah, genetics and environment are two aspects and there may be more. Yes. Although I can't think of anything else. Well, I mean, uh, I think I've identified four things. Well, I don't think you have, though. See, I don't, I, to me, those are all part of the environment. They're just at, the environment is a very complex entity on multiple levels. Like I say, it's cosmic on some levels. It's very immediate. Your mother, your mother's tit at some point, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, the environment that an, an organism grows up in, uh, is a very complex system. I guess this, I guess, it, it, irrespective of whether you view free will as being important in this construct, <laughs> I think this you, still, you mean as an idea. Well, as an idea or, or something as that a you're reality. Mapping. Well, as an idea or something that you because this could work whether you acknowledged free will or refused free will. There's still the notion that the individual entity has, you know, does things that are independent <laughs> of the genetics and the nurture. And similarly, yeah. I think this notion of, let's call Just it... Just because there's a notion of that doesn't mean that it's sensible or not totally insane. Well, it's, but it's better than having this duality that doesn't seem to actually describe... No, which, but you don't... What duality is that? Nature-nurture. No, that's what I just said. We both agreed that's stupid. Exactly. But but to replace it with another stupidity doesn't sound like a good idea. Well... <laughs> If you if you define the stupidity, I mean, it's interesting actually that neither of us are taking exception to nature. Well, no, I think it's clear that genetics is, and I again, na- I screwed nature. Let's just talk about genetics. Okay. Okay. My parents, their genes, and my body, and the way it's grown, and all that, and whatever other implications it has for the chemistry of my brain and my, you know, all that. There, there's a component of me that is influenced heavily by that. Do you think heavily is the right? Do you feel heavily influenced by your genetics? Well, I don't even think I can talk about me separate from the genetics. I mean, the whole idea, I mean, that I can have some opinion about my genetics as though they're two different things. <laughs> I mean, I am on on some level my genetics. Yes. But your genetics manifest themselves in a series of ways. Yes, and the and the environment has a strong uh, influence on just how those uh, genes are activated and and put into use. Certainly. And but I don't see anything else than that. I don't see I well, don't see what else there could be. If you disregard the self and in particular free will, then it's very Well, that's easy pretty to easy. Say. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I dispensed with those some time ago. That's what I'm saying here. <laughs> so yes, for you. Okay. All right. So this isn't for me. This is for this is for the other language monkeys out there. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think the notion of, I mean, in in terms of linguistics and in terms of your general 
ideas. I can see that, and this is really where it is shtick, the dispensing of the self as as a necessary entity in this environment is probably very useful. But well, just, of, just calling it into question is a good start. Certainly. You know, having serious doubts about the reality of the, of a self. Yeah. I mean, apparently it's not even a question for most humans. I mean, they don't sit around talking about the reality of their self. Yes. You know, it's just, they get up and go to work and come home and watch TV or do whatever they do. And they may even read, read Nietzsche, but, you know, they don't sit around thinking about this stuff, I don't think. But those weirdos who do, seem to come to the conclusion that it's a it's a you know an illusion created by language when you stub your toe yeah what part of the illusion created by language do you feel in the immediacy of stubbing your toe there's there is the experience of pain uh, the eye having the pain again isn't really necessary the experience of pain is quite sufficient there doesn't have to be anybody separate from the pain to experience it. At least it doesn't seem necessary to me. I mean, that's the way we do it. We stub our toe and then we go, oh, shit, that, you know, and we, I, I hurt. I don't know what we do. Anymore. I don't know what other human beings do. I don't even know what I do anymore. I mean, I've spent quite a bit of time in the past year or so sitting quietly, sort of not really meditating, but, um, just observing what goes on when my language machine is sort of idling, not not really doing anything, and or at least it's not being directed anyway. And I'm appalled <laughs> at my inability to articulate what I see going on in my own experience when I lay with my eyes closed, wide awake in bed. It's it's. Yeah, okay. In in large part due to our interaction, but also through the feedback of listeners, I frequently catch myself just in the instant of not having anything, no internal narrative. Yeah. And just think to myself, and I catch myself and like, what was the Well, of course, the act of catching you. Yeah, the act of catching yourself is no longer in that. That's when you're looking back. Yes. And saying yes, that it it was gone for a while, and here I am observing that it that it was gone for a while. In fact, it's actually yeah. it's it's such an occurrence when it occurs. And we talked a little bit about my professional work. What fascinates me through this is actually that for most of what I do, because it exists in code, it's an external yeah. thing. Yeah. That I don't need any internal narrative. In fact, what I do is. Um, if I need to make any forms of notes, I have kind of an automatic clipboard that I generate either in paper form or electronically that helps me through my navigation. But it is really yeah. a spatial geometric thing that I'm moving through. And it doesn't require language. In fact, the thing is... Well, it probably does require language, but not the way it does for most people, for sure. Thing, and not not in the same way. Yeah, the thing that strikes me is when... My language machine is basically just a bard. All it does is, in certain periods of time, it will sing to me. And that's it. <laughs> I mean, it really is quite extraordinary. Yeah. It's, I'm, well, and may, you know, all I can say is, I've never heard that story before. So, you know, and I don't know what to say. It, it sort of dumbfounds me to hear it, but I, I don't know what else to say. You know, I, I, it's hard for me to imagine. 
that, but you are pretty weird. So, so I had a friend in town recently, and it's a friend. Is- I'm sorry, I got to stop again because mm-hmm. your language machine is so fluent. When you and I are here, it's hard for me to imagine it just turning off when I get when when I hang up. It is, and that's what you're saying. It does. It just you need to understand. I mean, this is the thing, Heron. In terms, of, in terms of actually mediating, it astonishes me that I can actually form sentences. And what I find it even should. more astonishing, it, you're right. It should astonish you. It should astonish every one of the <laughs> listeners when they realize that it's so astonishing you can't do it. A human being cannot consciously control their own language machine. All they can do is observe it functioning, and then have the illusion that they're doing it. But well, when you think about the complexity of creating a sentence, there's no way you can do that in real time. It's all sub, it's all unconscious subroutines that are running in your language machine that put all this shit together for me right now as it comes pouring out of my mouth. <laughs> I guess, yeah, certainly reflecting or hearing audio, never reflecting that I've recorded even recently, I'm frequently surprised by what I hear. <laughs> and I think, it, I, as I started saying, I have a friend in town last weekend, and he's someone who I'd mentioned previously in recordings, you know, dating back two-odd years ago. And I made the point associated, but I made the point when I knew him two years ago as well, associated with our weekly recordings, and I gave him the general blueprint associated with the language, you know, the, the internal narrative is not you. And then we went through the five stupidities. And he reacted very strongly against <laughs> this notion yeah. of an internal narrative. Really? In such a way that he said, well, what does this internal narrative say? And I said, well... I don't know. Listen to it. Let's hear. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> I said that basically, I mean, from our interaction and from the way you've described your internal narrative, it's very negative in certain circumstances. It's very abrasive and it doesn't really have a lot of, you know, respect for the monkey that it's within fundamentally. And I said, <laughs> and he said, As this is what you said to him. Yes. And I okay. said, he said this is very curious because basically his internal narrative is not that way at all. And I said, well, you know, I, I've basically quietened this thing because I realized that my internal narrative historically, and I'm talking, you know, probably late teens was probably when I went through this process, the early twenties was just so negative and so totally associated with yeah. You know, people in my past that I realized ah, okay, it was a yeah. separate thing that needed to yeah. be squashed. Okay, I got it. See, I disagree with you that it needs to be squashed. I just think it needs to be that we need to break the identification with it. The problem is, is that most people believe that shit. They think they think they're doing it, and so they have a they give that voice an authority that it really doesn't deserve. And if once you break that authority. The voice is just, and, well, and it does help to reprogram it, though. It's, I don't think it, it, well, for you it may work, but I don't want to kill it. I want to turn it into a tool. Well, that's interesting, because I guess it isn't, it is a phenomena that I think certain people are so heavily linguistically programmed, perhaps from childhood, perhaps through the media, through everything, through all of that, all of, of sources. That. Yes. But the ability to quieten it brings, 
I guess a sense of peace, at oh, least yeah. it did to me. Sure. And my view is that this is something that has ultimately been able to, I mean, historically. This is what meditation has been selling for the last four years. Extent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not, not to a certain extent. That's precisely what they're selling. Quieting the mind will bring you peace. But they don't, they don't, well, some do, true, but most don't associate that with the creative benefit that you get through that as well. Oh, sure they do if they're marketing That's it properly. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. It's a bullshit that totally does. Yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's a major, it's a major step forward. But again, I, I think, I think they go too far. They talk about just killing it and leaving it there, dead on the road. And I don't, I don't, I don't want to do that. I, it's a very useful tool. And it, and the thing is to eliminate the negative consequences of it if, as much as you can and turn it into a better advisor. So what kind of advice does it give you? Well, whenever it opens its mouth. I've been, actually, I've been working on some exercises recently about how to think about something. And, and in fact, I, I want to, yeah, I should have thought, mentioned this earlier. I want, cause I do want to put this out there and just see what people think about this as an exercise, something to try. When I'm going to try to, a lot of times I, uh, I go to get in my bed around 11 o'clock, but I may not go to bed till 12 or 1. Yes. And I'm wide awake. You know, and, but I'll, I'll either read some, I mean, I, I read a lot, but if not reading, sometimes I'll just put everything down, turn the lights out, close my eyes and just lay there wide awake and think about stuff. And one of the, one of the ways I, I've been doing that is like, I mean, given that it's a language machine and it, when you try to silence it, if you use a mantra, which is the, one of the standard meditation techniques is the way that works is, you're saying your mantra and 30 seconds after you started, you're thinking about a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you know, and then you notice that and you go, oh, and then you go back to the mantra and then you find yourself thinking about something else. And then you notice that you're thinking about it and you go back to the mantra and, that, and that's the process that they go through. So I'm, I'm thinking about that and I'm thinking instead of using a mantra, I'm going to pick a series of words that are related to the problem I'm interested in, language, epistemology, a new planet, uh, organizing principles for human beings. And, and I'll just repeat those over and over again like a mantra. Have I talked to you about the paradox of the free software license? This strikes me <laughs> as exactly the same thing. So historically in the 70s or what have you, a fellow called uh, Stallman, I think, What's his name? I want Richard Stallman. I want to say Nigel Stallman for some reason. Anyway, Richard Stallman came to the brilliant idea that because he hated software licenses so much, what he needed to do was create his own software license. It's a bit like, you know, building bigger guns for world peace. And the whole notion of actually saying something so you can realize when you say, well, sorry, thinking something so you can realize when you're thinking something different to go back and thinking something and particularly using words in this kind of abstract way to try and frame words seems to be the same kind of paradox as creating a software license to combat software licenses. I mean, I think that's, <laughs> that just strikes me as being... I mean, I do understand what you're doing. And I no, do it's, so, so I see it as like priming the pump, because what happens is... Uh, I'm repeating these, these words over and over again, and then I find I'm, there's some other thought in there. And what I'm finding is those other thoughts are often quite interesting, though. 
because I've primed them with these other things that then when it does start to put together its own shit and, and feed it back to me, it's giving me some kind of interesting thoughts. That's, that was where I was going with this thing. And, and I'm thinking of that as a, well, I'm suggesting people try that and see, uh, see if they get any result from it. If there's something you want to think about, some problem you want to deal with, then write down five or six key words that, that sort of summarize the issues of, of whatever it is this thing is. And then, uh, lay down when you're wide awake, not, not feeling sleepy, uh, close your eyes and just repeat those five or six words over and over and over again, um, uh, like a mantra. And, and, uh, except that when you do find yourself thinking some thought, you don't necessarily have to stop and go back to your mantra. If it's an interesting idea, then you can maybe explore it. Or if it's not an interesting idea, you can go back to the mantra. And I'd be interested in seeing whatever results people get from that. So I have a slightly different method because I actually think the connection that you have through the mantra process and through saying the words and all this kind of stuff, basically doesn't change your... Well, it changes your thinking mind. Well, it's language machine work. It's work in the language machine. I mean, that's not the whole thing, obviously. You're dealing in other aspects that are well beyond the language machine. Uh, This is language machine stuff. So here's a technique that I have used previously. Which and, and a technique to achieve what? To, to achieve um, investigation and problem resolution, which oh, okay. is ultimately what you're yeah. describing. Yeah, yeah. I, well, it's just basically analysis. I mean, really. From, I mean, yeah. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. From a relatively young age, I was fascinated by the dream space and the ability to pose problems in the dream space and actually find solutions. In large part, being able to find complex connections that you could never achieve through the methods that you appear to be describing, possibly, but relatively unlikely. And the way in which I do this is ultimately triggered by me realising that I'm dreaming, but also, and this is never in terms of words in my method, it's always in terms of items that I kind of leave for myself in some sense, that will then appear in the dream and trigger the fact that I realize that I'm dreaming. And I think the dream space is actually really interesting for problem solving, particularly associated with establishing connections, but also I find it fascinating in terms of a broader narrative. So, for example, through the process with Anita, and we'll talk a little bit about that, in a few minutes, I was using this to actually create short stories and coherent short stories that I would then not necessarily wake up and write, but certainly, you know, the evening following, write in some detail. And this thing kind of built in a variety of different directions, but it was absolutely fascinating because the, the nature of the dream space is it's almost orthogonal to whatever you're trying to cultivate here through the mantra and these kind of ideas. And you actually get some really interesting, completely tangential in some regard, points of analysis. One of the fascinating things I found through this noble ape process of spending two hours a night working on noble ape is that I've actually utilized my dream space in kind of cultivating a series of, again, orthogonal ideas, but ones that I can then take back and use in the software. 
And it is really curious, actually, utilizing this this time that, you know, in theory we are, I don't know, removing toxins or whatever sleep does in a kind of biological area. But you can also use it for a variety of different interactions I just don't think people utilize in terms of the way that they typically treat their dream space. Not in America. It's uh, no. it's not a topic of, no, it's not. of consideration. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's amazing how completely underutilized. It was for me for a long time. I used to have great flying dreams, mm-hmm. and I really missed those. Yes. God, that was wonderful. But I basically, well, you know, they say you dream all the time, but I don't remember dreaming hardly ever. Once in a while, I do. Yeah. It's not a part of my life. They're interesting. When I do have one, I always feel grateful and think that was fun. But, uh, you know, it, it's not a part. I don't know how to use that space at all. Yeah. yeah. It is an interesting phenomenon because I certainly, I mean, I've tried to seek out people who are similarly interested in this. And in Australia, I had a couple of friends who were. But the kind of... do a podcast on it. Yes, I think actually that probably could be something I could do. Yeah. Yeah. If, if nothing more, actually. No, to, I would imagine there are a lot of people who, uh, you know, you're not the only one. <laughs> certainly, certainly. So, I think, yeah. I think what I need to do is I can cre- I can do it in informal in an informal sense, but I think there are certain components that almost need to be, you know, written down. There's a formality that needs to be given to it in order to have a kind of long-term discussion about the phenomena. Yeah, some language has to be arrived at for how to talk about things. Yes. Yeah, right. That's the, Like I say, that's the beginning of science. Yes. Is you got to get your terminology square, and that's difficult. Yeah. But I, I mean, in terms of my dream space, it is some of the most wonderful and interesting, you know, things. That, and it's funny, actually, We've talked about this notion of, I don't know, deriding or uh, feeling a, a degree of negativity or discovering oneself telling a story that was actually a dream and attribution to the real world, and then you kind of patch yourself through that. And I think a lot of these experiences being kind of degraded, I mean, particularly in the kinds of, you know, societal environments that we have um, here in, you know, this day and time, I do wonder if there was a better time. I mean, I certainly think in the 19th century... There was a lot more discussion associated with dreams in popular culture. And dream go back three, four thousand years, and I'll bet it was a lot discussed. Certainly. I mean, I think the the emergence of it's interesting actually because I have this discussion periodically with people associated with Noble Ape. This notion of the emergence of society. At what stage did societies actually start emerging from kind of hunter gatherer? Or, you mean you mean cities? Is that no what societies. About? I'm, I'm saying well, no, no, social groups. When at what stage? Oh, is a hunter gatherer group not a society? Um, well, it certainly is. It's just not a city. Well, there's no division of labor. There's, I mean, there's all sorts of things that define larger organizations than tribal. Okay, so here, here, it's what I'm talking about is really the introduction to to acknowledge kind of cognitive tribalism as opposed to just being a pack. Oh, oh, the difference between a monkey and a language monkey. I guess so. Okay. Yeah. All right. But the the question is, yeah, how did, yeah, if only we had any clues about how that happened. Well, yes, (laughs) I mean, this is, this is, when when some people hear about no blade, this is immediately what they gravitate to. 
is that it could be a useful tool for exploring the kinds of societies that can be created in ah. you know early you know, okay. early culture basically and oh, it is okay. ah all right it is an interesting yeah that is interesting particularly i mean in conversations that i have in my home life it is associated with questions of kind of polygamy and notions of like the rule of law and all these kind of things that were, had to have been established and were Sure, yeah. Well, look at the difference between bonobos and regular chimps. Yes. <laughs> there you go. Always back to the bonobos. <laughs> yeah, well, they're, a, they're wonderful tutors, yes. wonderful teachers for us. Yeah. <laughs> I discovered somehow, haphazardly, in fact, I don't think it, I mean, it must have been in the book that I read, but the bonobo woman actually went to the same university that I went to in Australia. She's actually an Australian, this bonobo woman, who seems to now have published multiple books in the first person, talking about her, you know, her romantic life plus bonobos <laughs> injected at random points. But yeah, I was actually quite struck by the fact that having read her book, I guess I probably never got to the biography at the back or something. I was just so disgusted with it. I think I probably donated it having only read a couple of chapters. And I yeah. hadn't actually realised that she was firstly Australian or secondly had attended the same university that I had. She must have actually been a contemporary of mine. I don't even know who you're talking about. So there's this bonobo woman who's now... She's she's sort of like the Jane Goodall of 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 bonobos. Okay, I got it. I've never heard of her, but... but No, she's, she's, you know, she's always... She's the Jane Goodall. Exactly. Of bonobos, yeah. St. Jane. She's no... What's her name? I don't even know that, but she's no (laughs) Jane Goodall. That's the point. Ah, okay. The Jane Goodall actually is a considerably different phenomenon, and this woman is no Jane Goodall. <laughs> okay, anyway. yeah. yes, okay. So, a topic I wanted to raise, in large part due to listener feedback, was the uh, conclusion of the Anita part of the comic book project. <laughs> because, basically... Within- that is in the past now. Yes. Okay. And it's an interesting phenomenon, actually, because obviously the listeners to this particular recording feel very impassioned that they actually want to see the product of what is created. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. Well, you've been teasing us with it long enough. Yeah, and I guess my view with regards to Anita's work is that it had gotten to the point where I don't even feel comfortable. I mean, you know, my wife has seen it, a few other people have seen it, but it's just, as far as I'm concerned, it is something in the past. And I need to, I need to basically retool in order to avoid this circumstance going into the future. Yeah, I got it. Yeah. Part of of the retooling is actually acknowledging the body of work and cutting it into four separate works and then concentrating on simplifying it to fit in with a comic book project. And in the time frame associated maybe with the next six months, because there are a few things that will go on up until that point, I'm basically going to concentrate on retooling to avoid the phenomena that occurred up until this point. One of the interesting narratives that came through, I guess, a listener, or maybe just someone who was randomly on my Facebook page, was that if you don't pay artists a reasonable wage, you're going to continue to have this experience. And the point that I made back to this person was that the unreasonable wage that I was paying this artist was comparable to the wage that I was paid when I was of a similar age working through university. In fact, she, in doing her creative talent, was being paid basically dollar for dollar, if not slightly better than me working in a research physics institution. 
So the whole notion that I was paying her in poverty or paying her impoverished wages for her work was one thing. The fellow also critiqued the notion that um, artists can't draw quickly. And in fact, it's the thing. That, <laughs> well, some can. The thing, the thing that has struck me through the professional artists that I've had the privilege to work through is it's amazing how fast they produce. Them. Yes, of course. Yeah. I mean, that's the distinction between. I mean, not all draws. of them have that ability, yeah. but, but uh, many do. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's why the they're artists. The distinction of someone who draws well versus a professional, because if you yeah. can't create artwork to a pace. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's, you're right. That's the definition of a professional. Yeah. Right. You may be a great artist, but yeah. that doesn't make you a professional. Yes. <laughs> so it was an interesting, I mean, I, I guess I've fired people previously. I've, I've, I've cut people. I've let people go previously from various projects, usually for, you know, similar, similar issues. But I just felt an immense of great, I mean, she did contact me afterwards and ask, you know, what were the specific reasons? And I gave her in quite great detail the number of failings that I saw with the project, some on my side, some on her side, but just that this thing couldn't keep going in the format that it was in, basically. And I wished her, I mean, I wrote her a reference letter and I paid her for, you know, work that hadn't been completed and a variety of other things, but, you know. So yeah. I, I don't feel any emotional burden there, but I do yeah. know what I'm looking for in Nazist in the future. Yeah, you learned a lot. And you learned more than just about that, too. I mean, you learned about production and all, all sorts of things. Yeah, and I, I learned You're that, in a far better position to yes. set up a, a relationship with somebody now than you yes. were <laughs> a little while. I, yeah. I do think that it's probably, it would be better with two artists. I think the problem of just having one artist associated with the speed of production was a real problem. How can you get them? I mean, don't you see, uh, well, unless they can draw similarly, somehow you're going to integrate two different styles together. There are two separate novellas within the work. And I think if one artist did one of them, oh, okay. and the other right. artist did the oh, other one. Okay. So there really are two different stories. They yes. can going parallel. The, there are similar characters. Uh, yeah. Not identical characters, but there are no, similar the, characters. Well, even if they were identical, it wouldn't yeah. make that much difference, you know. I think, yeah. It's, as long as they're recognizable, they just have to be recognizable. Well, that was the problem with the neat. So yeah. Moving on. Anyway, I, it, it did strike me as quite interesting the reaction of the Stonet listeners to this. Uh, and it, it did make me realize that the listeners do have a kind of week to week ownership of the stuff that we do. <laughs> Good. Nice. Yes. Yes. It is an interesting phenomenon, actually. I was thinking about this particularly as I appeared on uh, KMO's recording because he has a similar group of listeners that are equally passionate, but they're just different. I mean, some of his listeners have come over to Stone Ape, and I'm sure a few Stone Ape listeners have gone over to, to the C-Rail and yeah. the Z-Rail and all the other stuff that he does. But yeah, it is. Uh, there seems to be a finite group within this number, however. And I don't know... Oh, I, it's a big group, though. We haven't begun to reach the people, I, I think, that are appropriate for the stuff we're talking about. So this is interesting, because there seems to be, historically, and these are not podcasts that have succeeded, but within the Within the uh, numerous number of failure podcasts that I've experienced over my uh, seven years through this format, there's always been an element that said what you've got to do is actually promote our podcast in your broader 
social group. With model rail radio, it's just a no-brainer. In fact, everyone who appears yeah. on model rail radio who's on Facebook, yeah. they post to their page and say, thank you very much for your, for calling in and, you know, and have a little model rail radio click through that people can click through and yeah. then listen to the audio with their friends in it and then listen to yeah. the more audio. And we don't really have this phenomenon with Stone Ape. I mean, I think what's happened with, you know, with Justin and Marie associated with kind of couples listening to Stone Ape and then, you know, <laughs> doubling the listener base based on this listening is an interesting phenomenon, but actually kind of going out, I mean, it's interesting, you know, the likes of, of Mott et al, that, you know, we actually supply part of their social interaction on some level as well. Well, for a small group, I, I think it's a small group of people that, you know, that are <laughs> brain damaged in, in a similar way to us. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> you know, and, but I think that's a huge number. I think there are a lot of people out there. The problem is, uh, there's no name for this. There's, you know, it's, it's not a, it's not a topic of conversation. People, you know, a lot of people who might, might not even know that this is what they'd be interested in, you know, until they hear it. And then they, and they realize, oh, you know, I've been thinking shit like that forever, but I just never knew that I was thinking that stuff. <laughs> So yeah. the phenomenon with Model Rail Radio was that I created a flyer, which is now completely out of date, but still people download it and print it. Mm-hmm. And they just take it to the, you know, their rail shows and what have you, and they pass them out. Mm. That gets people back. And I think basically, if we could ever agree upon a Stone Ape flyer, maybe that would be the way that people go to Well, like I say, that's your, this, and, this is all your job. Oh, this course. is your podcast. I'm just a guest here. Okay, so what I will do then is create a flyer that people can print out. It's three to a page. I wouldn't mind seeing it before you send it out. <laughs> but but uh, but ultimately, happens, but but ultimately, yeah. I I honestly I feel that way about this because I I have some intentions of getting into this space myself. You know, Very with good. my own stuff. So Very good. Um, I don't have any ownership about this one. Yes. Well, I do. I mean, obviously, but yeah. but, uh, so but I, from the beginning, this has been your baby. So what I will do is create a flyer. I'll post it to the Facebook group. Heron can like it and maybe even look at it, and then I'll use it accordingly. <laughs> but I think actually the important part yeah. here is that the listeners proactively need to have some... I mean, irrespective of what you or I think of the flyer, really the listeners are the ones who... Yeah, yeah. and the purpose of this flyer is to encourage people to get their friends to listen, or to get the right people to listen anyway. Yeah, I mean, for example, for example, go into a bookstore and with a few of these and go to the metaphysics or epistemology or linguistic section of the bookstore (laughs) and slide a few of these in. A little gorilla marketing here. Exactly. Hell, I might even do the same, you know? Yeah. And from that, in 20 years' time, when the second-hand book is finally purchased, <laughs> then maybe... I mean, it's actually quite surprising the number of second-hand books I've purchased that have had bits of paper inside them. Yeah. Uh, I can recall maybe that happening once. Yeah. Uh, not too many times. Well, I probably purchase slightly more second-hand books than you do currently. Maybe. maybe. Historically. Hey, yeah. Anyway. I doubt historically, but certainly in the last 20 years. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I'm thinking of all these possibilities, simply, you know, going to a coffee shop and, and putting it up. I mean, maybe even asking if you Well, I'm not... Yeah, see, that's the thing is, I wouldn't have a clue on how to market what we're doing here. Yeah. 
You know, what the hell are we doing here? Well, what, would you, what can you possibly say? Two guys talking about shit that most people in the world don't give a crap about. Matter of fact, that's not bad. <laughs> Did you? Well, we've got that. We've got it recorded. There you go. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, seriously. I mean, I, I really think. Like I say, I think there's there are probably millions of people out there who would love this shit. Yes. But we're still talking about less than one percent. Yeah. But I still, mean, that's a huge number of people. <laughs> it's interesting actually doing this kind of thing in Squish, because obviously I had one recently and I'm going to be doing another one in October sometime, late October. Yeah. And just throwing three, well, me and two others together in some circumstance and creating a, but also taking audience questions. Oh yeah, it's gotta, kind of it's gotta be, yeah. yeah, you want to involve the audience yeah. as deeply as possible. It's gotta be interactive fundamentally. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, I mean, I guess what I'm asking here of the listeners is that if they get a degree of pleasure or even a slight amusement from listening to Heron and I on a periodic basis, that there must be others out there. In fact, I would encourage, rather than seeking out your friends, actually to do some of this guerrilla marketing stuff yeah. in terms of getting it out to folks who may never, you know, you may never have any interaction with aside from liking, you know, yeah. similar books or, you know, what have you. See, that's the issue is, is it's such a small niche. But Even though it's, this, you know, how do we get, how do we get them? How do we find the right people? You see, I own books that I know, and this is part of my reason that I give books away now as well. That I know actually some of these books I've learned from and others will learn from in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's the beautiful thing about a book as a thing in and of itself that if you put these little flyers in books in bookstores, then you are probably reaching. Well, at least that's, yeah, yeah, it's a good, it's a good audience. Yeah, I you're, mean, you're, you're, you're finding yeah. the focus. Yeah, of that's your for sure. Energy. Yeah, but you know, yeah, that's the issue. Maybe it would be better to market. I mean, with the internet, you can advertise yeah, but it's, to it's to and and really sp hone in on the but specific you see, people I've, you want. We historically, but really, I fundamentally have actually attempted this with this podcast. I yeah. think we've won half a dozen people through that. A half you know, a dozen's pretty good. How much we, did that cost? Uh, about forty, maybe fifty dollars. Forty bucks. That's not a bad investment. Well, the, the thing is, we have to do something. That's the thing is, if you're going to get serious about this, then you got to start looking at not just getting people, but get. We're talking about a pyramid scheme. <laughs> is what we need. We need to get people who are excited enough to get other people. Yes. You know, and and the kind of people again. You know who are gonna who who are gonna appreciate what you and I do. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. Well, no, I know they're out there because they're, they're we've already found some of them. Yeah. You know. Yeah. 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 Well, maybe we should get their ideas. Exactly. They see. That's the thing is, it, for me, this is about building a community of people who are thinking about certain kinds of things. Yes. And I would think that all of you listeners would be equally concerned about expanding this community so that we all know one another. Yeah. You know, in fact, again, that's why I recommend or I, I welcome uh, any contact from any of you. Uh, like I say, text before talk, <laughs> please. But, uh, you know, uh, 
we are in a vast minority right now. I think we are destined to take over the planet eventually. I think we are living in one of the punctuations. And uh, we're very close to the end. The next 30 to 50 years, I think, are, are going to be decisive. And uh, you and I need to know who we are. And we need to find others and get hooked up. Okay, end of rant. I'm not really sure how I can even preface this topic, but I'm going to wade into it in a particular direction. I've been kind of, I don't know, wistfully puzzled of late, associated with what I'm doing. It's hit me in a few different ways. You mean at Netflix, ways. you mean? Well, just in general. What my general. life has okay, your whole life. Yeah. To. Yeah, okay, yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, gotcha. Yeah. And although... I what the hell am I doing? Here? Yes. <laughs> and the thing the thing that struck me about this, and I don't want you to necessarily narrate too much about this, so I'm gonna be relatively careful about yeah, the way yeah. that I say this. Yeah, this influence affects other people. So it's what not- what I will say is that the broader kind of existential meaning that I've ga- gained from, you know, the um nearly thirty seven years that I've been wandering around this rock has come through a combination of seeing others get interest and joy in the things that I produce, and also myself being caught in the interest and joy of producing those things. And there have been times in my life where I have been really very happy with this experience. And truth be told, I'm relatively happy currently with this. I feel unbelievably lucky to have the ability to employ an artist or even consider employing an artist. And within the next few months, we will probably be purchasing a house, which is quite extraordinary in this part of the world, but I've done that previously. And I'm starting to wonder whether my own kind of existential happiness shouldn't be removed from all these things and I need to, you know, come to some yeah. kind of greater understanding associated with something. I don't see why you can't do both. No, it's not an either or yeah. situation. Yeah. Yeah, I'm uh, enjoying the really uh, I'm more fine, you know, for the first time in my life in the last 4 or 5 years, I'm not really worried about uh you know, being homeless if yeah. I lost my job immediately, yeah. you know. Uh, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I like that. Yeah, the interesting thing is that actually the points that I reminisce about are points where probably at the time, although truth be told, aside from very bleak parts of my life, I've never been really concerned about, I mean, I've, I've come close to being homeless, and I've come close to having no money and actually being in a position where I'm away from any support structure with no money. But yeah. having survived through that, none of that really scares me anymore. Yeah, right. Like, it doesn't intellectually scare me, and it certainly doesn't even scare me as a married man. Well, you've been there, and you know you can deal with it. Yeah. So, you know, or in, and if you can't, you'll die, and then yeah. you don't have to worry about it either. So, I think, you know, I think basically I'm in a position currently where I have the luxury to kind of double down on things that I haven't been able to do previously. The comic book is a good example. Yeah. But also there are aspects of my writing, what I'm doing currently with Noble Eight. I mean, it's funny, actually, because now Bob Bottram is is 
employed full time, most of the time that I've spent has been associated with revising and simplifying aspects of Noble Ape. Um, and really working through a lot of his code, which ultimately either needs to be simplified or removed, or at least moved into something that he can utilize, but isn't part of the kind of tight functioning core of Noble Ape. But I'm not really giving the full editorial example associated with this kind of existential happiness. So what I will say, I'm going to experiment with this, but saying yeah. it out loud. That's all we can do. <laughs> is um, over the past month, there was a two-day period, and it was a very curious two-day period, where the potential for me to be a parent was acknowledged through that period. And aside from a variety of kind of chaotic aspects in my life, this has never actually been like a practical reality for any part of my life. And it was very curious to me because it really changed me for a short period of time. Now, this after a two-day period turned out not to be the case. But at least through this period, I realized that in particular what I had seen through my own father and and how he had changed fundamentally after I was born, but really in the process of you know, me coming into this world, was also something that was almost chemically part of who I was, you know. And it was very interesting to me because it completely redefined a series of things, a series of assumptions, a series of working characteristics that had driven me up until that point. And independent of, you know, other parties, it made me think very strongly that a lot of the kind of philosophical outlook that I had, particularly associated with, you know, the meaning of life, in inverted commas, always related to the notion of either having physical genetic offspring or at least having intellectual offspring. And the interesting thing was I'd always focused, I guess, on the, the intellectual offspring in some regard. But the notion of actually having physical offspring was something that had changed me. And it's really, in my own thinking, associated with happiness in particular, made me realize that a lot of the stuff that I'm working towards that I've gotten enjoyment out of in the past has been relatively, you know, framed around this kind of, you know, purpose that I'd given to myself up until this point. But yeah, it was an interesting experience. And it's something that I'm still kind of reframing in my own kind of day-to-day thing but you know it really impacted me these things just hadn't occurred basically up until this point in time yeah now you get to really think about it yes what it really means yes yes but in contrast to people that actually have children you know in contrast to all these things i can see this whole notion of like parents and all these kind of things which i'd always appreciated in an intellectual level i mean Truth be told, I'd actually programmed in the notion that, you know, the noble apes could have children and all these kind of processes and the kind of biological creation, genetic creation, all these kind of things. But, yeah, it is a very interesting... I mean, this is an experience that you've had and then very quickly realised that it wasn't you because basically... Yeah, for me, it's not... Yeah, that's just not the game I'm here to play. Yeah. You know, it is for some people, but it's not for me. Yeah. And it's really good for everybody to actually know that yeah. before they get into it. <laughs> yeah. Quite a strange thing to be. I, you know, in fact, you drew the line about intellectual, uh, 
descendants. Yes. And, 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 and said that almost apologetically. And I think that's, that's the only reason to have genetic descendants. Is to have intellectual descendants as well. Yes, is because you can really influence them. Yes. You know, you can nurture them. Yes. Uh, but actually, you can nurture anybody. Certainly. And um, that's what I, I'm concerned with is, yeah, l- these ideas I think we're talking about are important ideas for the future of this planet. Yes. They need to be talked about. Yes. So what did, did you come to the conclusion that uh, yes you 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 in fact can't wait to devote your whole life to raising a little human a little language monkey that you can turn well, into a stone ape <laughs> I, uh, the, the conclusion that I came to was that I felt considerably more capable than I thought that I'd feel ah. I mean I think basically Not you can afford a nanny now well <laughs> who wants a nanny though I mean, my brothers were raised by... My brothers were, to a certain extent, <laughs> raised by other people. And I think it's probably the reason that I feel so different to them. I mean, truth be told, I was raised by both my parents up until the point of divorce, and my brothers really didn't have my father in their lives. So, yes, this is probably the reason that, through the nurture component at least, we are distinctly different. But yeah, it is a it is a curious phenomena. I mean, I think to have that experience for just a short period of time and then not have the experience anymore and just come to the realization, oh, it's back to normal, basically, is a very curious thing. Where does the normal come from? Well, the that? way it's been, other than in the you know thirty six year period, oh, other no. than the two days, you know. Ah, well, no, but there's always new possibilities. Though. It's not. It's not just continuing the way you were. No, no. It, well, yeah, it was an interesting. I mean, I'm only going to talk about my own kind of intellectual experience associated with this, but certainly it was very impactful, and it made me actually the deconstruction that made me really feel was basically that there were portions of my life that I still thought were relatively crap, actually, <laughs> that needed probably you know t- to be to be looked upon in a particular light almost required, which is ultimately what affected my father. I mean, this is basically what killed the kind of creative, whimsical aspect of my father as I was born, was this notion of responsibility. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I've heard audio recordings of my father prior to my birth where he's absolutely different person. Yeah. You know? Yeah, he was, he's, yeah. Yeah, that sounds like me. Yes, no, this is exactly the point <laughs> yeah, that I'm yeah, making. Yeah, yeah, this, 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 yeah. This, that's what it would. That's what I'd probably be in jail. Mm. Actually, I, I probably would have killed somebody mm. or, or done some really terrible thing, or mm. you know, it just, um, or I just would have died. You know, just become a, a fucking robot. Yes, I don't know, but it, I, it just was clear to me. It really wasn't a choice. Yeah. Actually, I mean. It just wasn't a choice at all. I had no heart for it. Yes. Yeah, all all I can offer, and this was interesting, actually, because the day was constructed that we actually found ourselves in a second-hand bookstore to start off with, which is basically something that I've actually avoided for the past four or five months. And <laughs> the, the joy of actually being in a second-hand bookstore and going through the process of actually selecting books 
and reading a series of books and then, you know, selecting particular books and these kind of things was, a, you know, an emotion that I hadn't felt for a period of time. And then we got this very strange phone call and then basically the next two days were, yeah, were very, very curious until we got a second phone call, which things went back to as they'd been previously. Yeah. Well, so now you can live your life consciously. <laughs> well, make now decisions can... about what you want to do. Yes. Well, in some regard. Well, the question is, do you want children? Well, I mean, I've always wanted children. I don't really. Wait, well, you've always that. wanted children yeah. since yeah. you were three years yeah. old. Yeah. Doesn't that sound a little odd? There's no other purpose if not to. I mean, my view is that ah, okay. it's actually. Uh, so intellectual that, descendants really are inferior to genetic descendants? No, not at all. Not at all. But at the. I mean, my view actually is that biological descendants are probably considerably more chaotic than intellectual descendants. Oh, yeah. It's much more inefficient. It sucks. Yeah. So it's. Well, it's biology. Yeah. Now, see, that's the thing. As, as we, we're, it appears as though we're moving beyond biology at this point. To a certain yeah. extent. There's a social reality that's not bound by genetics. You know, yeah. maybe this is the domain you were talking about before. Well, the, the yeah. interesting phenomenon is in parallel to this, I'm getting a, a daily, occasionally every other day, account of. Uh, my grandmother very slowly deteriorating. And the notion that um, in these kind of circumstances, I mean, particularly if I outlive my wife or if, in whatever circumstances, the notion of this kind of slow deterioration, particularly if I had no one, you know, Robert Anton Wilson... You can always say, kill yourself, man. You can't, actually. Yes, I mean, is, you can. I if don't you think plan for it. Well, if you plan... Yes, you're right. If you plan for it and you don't have a stroke, for example. Well, yeah. Well, there are yeah, there series are, of yeah. things that will put you yeah. in a condition where you can't actually. Yeah. No, you're right. But, but yeah. that's not what happens for most human beings. Most human beings get, well, you, you, I think you know what happens. <laughs> well, I, I mean, the thing that is interesting is that I've had two contemporaries, one a year younger and one two years older than me, who both have had strokes. Mm-hmm. And I mean, thankfully, in, but in one case, their partner was there, and in the other case, they had an extended family around them. Mm-hmm. But the notion of um, invincibility, and I've known people that have, you know, d- d- my age group that have died yeah. from blood oh, yeah. clots and a variety yeah. of other things. Oh, yeah, sure, yeah. So but, but, yeah. the notion of invincibility and the way in which one organizes this <laughs> beautiful idea that one will be able to um, euthanize oneself before one is incapacitated. Is you know a beautiful kind of intellectual thing. No, it's not a beautiful. Just an it's it's something you can prepare for. You know, and, and of course you can't be one hundred percent sure, mm. but uh, you, you can. Yeah, it seems to me. Actually, I expect to die by my own hand. Yes. You know, maybe not, <laughs> but but uh, it would seem that if 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 your physical body gets to the point where it's just no fun anymore. And it doesn't look like it's going to get any better, and you're just going to be a burden. And and you know that I would just check out. What the what would be the point of hanging around in that condition? Yeah, that's stupid. Well, hopefully, then you can go out and very pleasantly have a party, man. Have all your friends over, (laughs) you know, have a big party, get drunk, and check out. Yeah. 
Yeah, eat some poorly cut blowfish and let it go. <laughs> yeah. So yes, these these are the things that, and I guess death is you know, it, what part of what you brought up was one of the things I really that Vietnam was good for me. Yes, was coming to terms with you know, I could get killed here. Yes. <laughs> you know? And but uh, an getting past sense. that is is really uh, very helpful. Yeah. But to say you get killed here is a very abstract way of saying, you know, slowly bleeding to death or a variety of other. Well, also, yeah, the yeah, really nasty realities. Yeah. You know, or you could, or you could just catch a cold and die of pneumonia too. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> who knows? Well, so that's the thing is that once you get that, you realize, well, of course, you know, people get killed every day uh, in a flash because somebody drives head on into them in the freeway and they had no idea. Yeah. And you thankfully, know? you do die instantly in those circumstances. Uh, like sometimes you don't. Yeah. You no, know, yeah, except for the times you don't. Yes. <laughs> You just hope they're driving fast enough. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I mean, really, you could burn to death in a car. Yes. You know, we all could. Yes. That sucks. Yes. But there you go. <laughs> and at least we've contributed enough initially that, um, yeah, certainly there will be folks listening to us for at least as long as the Internet Archive stays. <laughs> yes. However so long that let's is. just hope we didn't burn to death in a car on the freeway. Yes. Okay. I'm not looking forward to that. No. But, yeah, so it's, it's kind of reframed some of the things that have been relatively central to my own potterings and, you know, m- made me realise that, you know, perhaps intellectual uh, offspring have some distinction to genetic offspring, some fundamental distinction. Absolutely. There's an interesting phenomena, which I understand to be the case actually with many folk, that none of my extended family have had children. I mean, of my (laughs) age group around. Like, literally, not even second cousins. Yeah. There is a phenomena financially, I think, particularly coming from Australia, yeah. Which basically make children almost an impossible, you know, thing. Well, it doesn't stop people in America. <laughs> That's a very curious phenomenon. I think actually yeah. this, this phenomenon associated with, you know, once you get to a certain level of education, particularly if you understand that financially you can't afford to have a child, you know, I mean, obviously there are methods to actually deal with these circumstances. Well, that's assuming a, a language monkey that's in control of its own language machine. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's not what we're dealing with. Yes. <sighs> well, sp- speaking of these wonderful things, our, uh, our mutual friend Tracy Portillo put forward that she's having a birthday this evening and no one has turned up. And she wanted this to be, to be the final topic of our uh, our recording, so we could talk about the phenomena of birthdays. I guess maybe not people not turning up. Well, the people's not showing up for your birthday. Well, it's called reality. Get used to it. <laughs> you know, take stock of where your life is. Learn from every experience that comes your way. Reevaluate everything every day. Yes. I'm actually good, thinking a good and good luck doing that. Yes. <laughs> I'm actually taking a couple of days off work this year for my birthday. Just because it seems like a perfectly I mean, I didn't take any time off over summer. I basically kissed summer goodbye. 
I wasn't able to do podcast recordings or do a wide variety of things. And I thought I might as well just take a couple of days off. I think we're probably going to go into, uh, you know, into the Redwood somewhere and, you know, just spend a couple of days far away from civilization and then reemerge to a regular workaday week following. Yep. Get a tent, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, actually, because... Um, yeah, there's a lot of great places to go. Oh, right? yeah. Up in the Sierras, man, it's... Yeah, well, aside from the fire, but avoiding the fire areas, yes. Well, there are plenty of areas that aren't burning. Certainly. Or aren't burnt, yes. More importantly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a, it's a luxury, actually, to be in this part of the world that I need to abuse more. Yeah, yeah. I used to do a lot of backpacking up in the Sierras. Yeah. There. I'm, I'm, those days are gone. <laughs> But that was that was wonderful. Yeah, I, it's funny actually appearing on KMO's recording versus actually being in functional space with people like KMO. Uh-huh. Because when he was here, I mean, he actually came here and we had dinner and a group of his posse and a few of my posse kind of got together and chatted and what have you. But the phenomena associated with finding a piece of land and having people through periodically and these kind of things and actually, you know, cultivating food and all this kind of stuff. I'm getting to the point where I think there are so many interesting parts of this country where you can actually buy land relatively cheaply still. Of course, you have to deal with the uh, homo sapiens slash language monkeys in the surrounds, which is always the interesting Well, but that's true everywhere, though. Yeah, exactly. See our initial discussion on Australia for more, I guess. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it is a phenomenon that I probably need to spend more time kind of at least talking to people. I, my tomato harvest within 10 square feet of sunlight has been absolutely phenomenal. I've got a, um, four chili plants that are currently covered in chilies that are going to be creating a copious quantity of sauces and various other additives uh, for the foreseeable future as well. And I've now planted a, an autumnal herb garden, which will be coming up in the same soil. So, yes, even with uh, 10 square feet of sunlight, I can uh, cultivate Quite something. a bit, yeah. The tomatoes are actually really a phenomenon. I was getting a bit concerned that they were just growing and growing and growing. But now, you know, they're providing more tomatoes than we can actually eat. Oh, I know. Yeah, you got cherry tomatoes, the little ones? Yeah, no, they're yeah. actually big cherry tomatoes. They're about the size of golf balls. Okay, mid, all right, yeah. So, anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah it's amazing. I, I've never even, I don't even plant them. They just come up yeah. and then die, yeah. <laughs> you know, but man, I'm, and right now, yeah, there's more out there than I can possibly, I've been bringing them into work. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we've been making sauces and quiches and yeah. a variety of things. I mean, basically everything yeah, they're we so eat has good. tomatoes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah, no, they're very good. They're very good. Yeah, I've got the cherry, the little ones, you know, maybe yeah. uh, three quarters of an inch across Certainly. or so. Certainly. Yeah, I think some of mine probably genetically were like that. In fact, some of them are actually like mini pear tomatoes. It is really very curious because they all normally, I think, came from the same seed stock. I mean, they bought them all in the same, up in Sonoma, they have a big independent seed place in the center of town. Oh, actually. you actually planted these things. Yeah, I planted from them seeds. from seeds. Okay, okay. Yeah. No, I'm I'm a big believer. In fact, almost everything I'll plant from seeds rather than, you know, buying them in 
what have you, punnets or what have you. Because I've never really had the same experience from punneted tomatoes as I have growing them from seed. But I also typically plant them. I plant them in like four inch square or four inch cube pots initially. So each one grows to a certain size before I actually replant them. And they have much better root coverage, which means as soon as they hit the, the regular soil, they just shoot up instantly. Yeah. This is the standard, you know, kind of stock punnet tomato. But yeah, I really feel that this part of my life is being underutilized in a tiny apartment. I mean, truth be told, if we had a house, it would probably have a garden sufficient for me to at least cultivate enough food for, you know, the the fall and probably perhaps early winter period without much trouble. Um, and, you know, seasonal stuff is always interesting as well. I've had mixed experience with uh, carrots and potatoes, but I'm sure the soil and conditions here would be more in line with that. When I was in Australia, the soil was very clay, which basically meant potatoes and carrots didn't have much of a chance. But yeah, I, I feel underutilized associated with this part of my life um, in the current confines. But you never know. I mean, a house might give me that ability at least. And at least from Model Rail Radio, at least once a month now, I'm having people coming through that, although they're talking about their trains, are providing some degree of company. So all I need to do is for Stone Ape to get a sufficient uh, quantity of listeners, or really any of the other podcast offerings that I've recorded periodically, uh, and then we can have other folk coming through as well. Do you think there might be a chance after maybe four or five of these uh, cloud conversations that you might want to come up here, Heron, and participate in one? If you can figure out a way to make it work, I'm open to it. Okay. Well, I think that's a train ticket and a hotel room. <laughs> and all meals paid for, perhaps. Uh, well, like I say, well, <laughs> if, if that sounds like something that might be fun and, and yeah. that you think can, you can pull it off, then I'm up for it. Fair enough. And certainly, hopefully by this point of time, there will be at least half a dozen Stone Ape listeners in the Bay Area. Well, and plus you will have had time to, you know, to prepare them for what we're going to do. Yeah. They will be <laughs> you know, they're not ready for this yeah. yet. So yeah, true. true. you got to work up to this. <laughs> yeah, I think in this one, because Larry Yeager did it in the last one, I'll probably show some videos, or at least a video associated with Nova Lake when I do the introduction. I think the last offering was, unfortunately, it's the nature of being a presenter in these circumstances, but I probably needed to offer some more formality associated with my work at least so you know some folks would uh, get an introduction to it i don't know if larry would participate in the future i mean my hope is he would you know periodically but i haven't really had any correspondence with him following i mean not directly to me he's made general correspondence yeah. associated with it but yeah the next group is going to be interesting i'm trying again to get bruce damer although he's doing exactly the same thing associated with dates as is uh, Eric Davis, who was the fellow I recorded some audio with. Um, but my feeling is that there are still a couple of other folk that would... Uh, and actually, truth be told, one of them is heavily connected with the uh, Singularity Institute, Kurzweil et al. So, you know, yeah. maybe maybe I'll get you and uh, you and uh, Ray Kay. Sure. <laughs> five, five I'll be time. there. You, yeah, you, you arrange that, I'll be there. Yeah, okay. Maybe I'll... Uh, Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll work out how that can work out. <laughs> yeah, that would be fun. 
I mean, about this time next year, by the looks of things. So, Whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like I say, if you can, if you could pull that out, that that would be the miracle of the decade. <laughs> well, if there's anything I'm capable of, Heron, it's miracles. So I am out of topics, I believe. Do you have anything else you want to raise? No, no. I'm just staring at this uh, this frog on my screen. Ah. So you, you've moved from puppies to frogs now, or what, what's the frog? Oh, no, it's just, uh, for some reason, I felt the need to, I've had the same uh, background desktop on one of my screens forever, uh-huh. and I just decided to change it, and I looked through the ones that I had, and one of them is this green, li- well, you got a Mac, so it's yep. one of your, that, that one with the green leaf macro shot of that little tiny tree frog with its big red eyes. Uh, it's just a great picture. <laughs> Here's a phenomenon that you may not know. In fact, I'm not sure if this is public knowledge, but I'm going to float it out amongst my friends in the Stone Ape podcast. Part of my work with Netflix is associated with Apple TV. And for a long period of time, Steve Jobs talked about Apple TV as being his hobby. What people may not know is that Steve Jobs, in all cases, up until recently, now it's just National Geographic. But for the previous iterations of Apple TV, Steve Jobs either hand-selected or in some cases personally took all the wildlife photos that we used on Apple TV as a screensaver. I'm not sure if that's moved onto the Mac as well. That could have been a green frog taken by Steve Jobs himself. But it is an interesting <laughs> phenomenon that yeah. he was that hands-on. Um, with these kind of things. Well, you know, it seems that uh, I've run into a few Steve Jobs haters in my life. <laughs> and um, and I guess I'd say I really am a Steve Jobs lover, you know? <laughs> he really changed my life. Yeah. That's all. What can I say? The Macintosh changed my life yeah. completely. I, I never had anything to do with computers. I got that very first Mac, and I've never been without a computer since. Hmm. I'm certainly more positive after his... I mean, I think probably I need to age as well. My early experience and my time in his environment, my early experiences with Apple, were, you know, relatively mixed. But I think now, perhaps, you know, working here as I do and, you know, perhaps being older, I feel (laughs) a lot more comfortable with Steve Jobs than I did when I was in my early 20s. That makes sense, yes. Yeah. Yeah, imagine what I mean, given the, the the guy he was who went to India for a, you know, however long and took mm. lots of LSD. Mm. <laughs> you know, and come back and create, you know, a multi-million dollar computer company. I think there're going to be some problems. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, multi-billion actually. Well, I'm talking about just in the beginning. You know, yeah. just uh, when they, but yeah, right now it's, well, well, it was the most valuable company in the world, wasn't it? it for, for a period it, of For a couple of days there or yeah. something. Yeah, you know? A few weeks, yeah. 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 It's interesting, actually, the current phenomena because, yeah, the stock market is a thing in and of itself completely removed yeah. from that. Yeah. And it really is very, very curious. But, um, yeah. Well, yeah. Apple will pass in time. I think everything does. <laughs> it's interesting, <laughs> yeah. actually. When I went to WWDC, actually, when I just got back, 
I looked at the bios of the people who are now running Apple, and they come from companies like Compaq. <laughs> I mean, they don't come from companies that you would necessarily think were yeah, innovative yeah. companies. Yeah. Is yeah, it? and yeah, I know. I, I think, uh, yeah, it's not going to be the same. It's over. Yeah. You know, they still make good products, and they probably will for a while more. But it's again, it's all going away from that anyway. The tablets, I mean, iOS, maybe that's what we, that's not going to go away. Well, the foreseeable future. Well, then, yeah, you're right. In the foreseeable, yeah. Yeah, it, it's, God, the whole, everything is changing so quickly now. It's hard, it's hard to, yeah. tablet, I mean, I, I couldn't live without my iPad now. I mean, I, that's silly. Yeah. But but I mean it's really integral. It's it's just makes so much stuff so much easier. Yeah, and the past two years of my life have been brought to me by these devices. Yeah, I mean that's the thing that really my experience associated with missing out on the speculative technology slash dot com wave has been completely replaced by my ability to work on the first wave. Well, not really even the first wave, but the the first major crescendo of these iOS devices. It really yeah. is very strange. Yeah. Yeah. I just count myself lucky. Yeah. Yeah, really. <laughs> it's the only well, way I can think about it. Yeah. I, and, and you seem and you seem to be giving priority to iPhone over iPad. Is, is that with the the impression my, is that impression correct? My well look, my view is that the, if you can break the iPhone interface if you can create an interface that works on the iphone then you can create something which is considerably richer on the ipad my problem has been historically with noble ape that it has been ideally suited for the ipad but i've had nothing that would work in the iphone environment yeah right the whole ios yeah yeah okay so we're really still talking about just ios but i'm just thinking the whole i can't imagine not developing developing primarily for the iPad. I mean, the, the yeah. iPhone is a fucking emergency device. No, you have to develop for both. And well, think- yeah, but I mean, I'm just saying, pri- who the hell, do people actually use their phones to do anything the if phones, they have an iPad? The phones are, you're right, they're considerably more utilitarian, but they're also considerably more of them. And I think if you look at the way the technology is being pushed, the interesting experiments, particularly associated with processing, but also associated with pixel real estate, come through on the phones. The pads are just luxurious, but they're also no, they're useful. Truth I, be told, I, I can't I can't work on a on an iPhone. I, I mean, I won't. It's ridiculous. The thing that concerns me with the pads currently, and this is pretty universal, although the mini is the perfect, which exists obviously in the Android world as well. I think the Mini is the perfect form factor, actually. I think I find the pads a little bit too cumbersome. If well, you... there's no, but that's, 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 yeah, we can have them both. They don't have to choose between Certainly. them. It's the same, it's the operating system that, yeah. that, that counts here, right? Well, actually, it's the content. Well, it's what you want to do with it, yes. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, yeah, but I, I think it's, I, I don't know. I just I, I just find the phone to be an annoyance. Except that it's okay for emergency situations. It's good to have a phone, and and you know I mean it's got everything there if I need it. 
but I only use my phone to li- well, it's my iPod too, so that's good. Yes. <laughs> it's got all my music on if it. If you can create an interface <laughs> which works with the phone, you've created something which is scalable yeah. fundamentally. Yeah. It's far more difficult to create something on the pad and then scale it down. Really? And my, you know, oh, I see. Okay, yeah, because, yeah. You're yeah, dealing with you're less gonna, screen yeah. real estate. You're yeah, yeah. Everything is That's right. You can expand from the yeah. small one, but yeah. shrinking it would be a problem. Yeah. yeah. And I actually think it's a user interface. It's it's yeah. a problem that is looking to be yeah. solved. Between you, you th- Yeah, I just don't – well, maybe I don't see how a, that small a screen – I I can't imagine that being useful. I mean, if I've got the, I mean, if I don't have anything else, it's great. <laughs> but if my iPad's here and it always is, why the hell would I use the iPhone? For the kinds of things that interest me, the phone is always going to be something that has to be supported. And in, yeah. so, I mean, I'm just restating everything I've said. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I understand that. I'm, I'm not. Like I say, I, I, I agree with that. It, I, it needs to be on the phone. It's just, to me, the primary development is the, I mean, the iPad, not the iPad, but tablet, the little flat things like this seems to be the future where this, everything seems to be going. Yeah. I actually think the interface, the meta thing, the interface, the yeah. way in which you interact with the information. Yeah. Uh, the, the OS. No, actually, the OS only, the OS would attempt to provide some of those interface elements. But if you look at the apps that are successful in, in okay. giving a user experience, yeah. they're utilizing aspects of the OS, but they also create their own coherent environment through this. Right, yeah, yeah. It's an interesting problem. And I think it's it's something that I, in all the apps that I use currently, I feel is not adequately solved. There are hard edges. There are problems in oh, all the apps yeah, in terms yeah, of yeah. interaction. Oh, there are tons of problems. This yeah. is this is just the beginning of this system. Certainly, this is. I think back to Mac OS one. Yeah, that that's what we got for this kind of interface. Mm-hmm. It, it's primitive and stupid. The file structure sucks. Yeah, it, it, everything about this sucks. <laughs> You're right, but it, it's going to get better. Yeah, and it's useful now. Yeah. Well, but, at WWDC, I think they said that they were expecting five more years of the Mac operating system, which I, or maybe it was it was a decade, which with five years of hardware or something like that. Uh-huh. It was some combination, but they seem to and, indicate and, that basically the Mac operating system was. I mean, they're running out of numbers for a start. Yeah, but, yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. There, it's going to take. It's, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's going to be a new operating system that that encompasses both these worlds. More seamlessly, yeah. That's it's an pretty- interesting. That's an interesting problem in and of itself. And I mean, I'd like to. I hoped historically that there were people because historically there were people at Apple that looked at this stuff. I mean, when I was first, when the carrot was first dangled in front of me, associated with Apple, it was with regards to working with one of those teams. I don't know if they're still there at Apple. I'd like to hope that they were. I mean, but I don't see much evidence in what they're bringing out currently that indicates that, you know, there's another operating system or another vision that's coming through this. I mean, what they've offered associated with simplification in iOS 7 is interesting, conceptually, and it certainly changed some of my own thinking associated with interface, but it's not a new operating system. It's just a new skinning with a lot of additional simplification in terms of the user interface. 
Yeah, it's gonna. Well, listen, this is like I say, this is like back in the yep. early days of the old OS. You yes. know, uh, yeah, this this is gonna go through, and it's gonna go through it much faster too than than the old transformation. Potentially so. Although, if yeah. you look at the time that's taken so far, it could uh, be on okay, par. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, you're right. Could well, it's gonna take a few. Well, it's already the thing is, it's already getting so good. We're getting so picky. <laughs> about what we demand nowadays when you think what we were expecting 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, I was pretty appalled. I mean, I was in the Bay Area not 10 years ago, but 12, 13, 14 years ago, and I was expecting to have the iPad within a year because we had Palm at least, and I thought, and there was the yeah. Newton. Yeah, the, techn- yeah, 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 the technology was, was there. I don't know why yeah. it didn't. Well, the, yeah, what happened? It just cost. It was just too yeah, expensive. Yeah, it was just me. too ahead of its time. Yeah. yeah, it didn't have, yeah. Yeah, I guess, I, yeah, because really, yeah. I mean, for all the negative things one would say about the phone companies, they also worked out a scheme where quite expensive hardware could be sold for $199. Yeah, it's pretty or amazing. Or $99. Yeah, yeah, it's, or free. <laughs> Or free, yes. Well, it's yeah, I mean, never, really, none of these are ever free, but the well, cost I mean, structure would go back to yeah, yeah. Well, they don't charge you for the phone; you still pay yeah. for your monthly. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, some of that cost structure goes back to Apple. You know, this is this is the way in which you can actually push this stuff forward. It was very curious. I mean, this is why the, it will be almost impossible to imagine an iOS device coming out in the future that doesn't fit the current pricing tier, which could ultimately be you know, hobbling certain efforts, but they certainly know what their each byte is going to be each year in terms of what they're changing. Because if they have to rewrite the pricing structure with the carriers, then that basically gives a very sharp indicator that there's going to be fundamentally different hardware on offer. You appreciate every year they come out for exactly the same price structure. I mean, from the original iPhone on, it's yeah, always well, been well, everything with everything. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's a miracle. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Keep it up, man. I'll keep <laughs> doing it as long as they want me to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It so. really, I mean, really, it, it is so far beyond my imagination of the 1980s. Yeah. Uh, as to what, what I could do or what could be done with a computer. Yeah. You know, I thought email was cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes. Were you you were on computers back in the days of uh, oh god what was the name of that thing Gopher and Gopher well, yep. Gopher and all that yep. stuff and Wise yep. and yep. okay yeah yep. yes I was I didn't know what the hell I was doing but I was playing around with in those places and it you know and to imagine what we have now <laughs> you know it's just like. It's interesting, actually, because as isolationist as we are in terms of our general speaking and our intellectual what have yous, actually having the plurality of people using these devices has, has moved the technology forward dramatically. Be it the ARPANET, the personal computer, you know, the tablets, all these things have required vast numbers of people in order to make it. Yeah, to make it work. It has to be yeah. mainstream in order to actually yeah. do the stuff that we want it to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is that's why this is an interesting time in history too. Is is capitalism 
sort of winds itself up and does its job and we get into some more reasonable uh, system of doing things. Um, capitalism has been a great system and and it's done its job. <laughs> yeah, I think it's still got a few years in it. Yeah. Oh, it does. I think it, well, how long? Yeah, when you say a few years, what does that mean? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I honestly... My view is that the nature of the futurist is predicting things that they have no knowledge over, and the nature of the technologist is developing things in the near future. And I'm not a futurist. I don't. I don't. It's not a realm that I'm. Not, my view is that actually there could be iterations back to you know feudalism and a wide variety of other things, which could appear to be fundamentally digressive initially, but are motivated by other things. I mean, I don't necessarily see this as a a movement towards some higher endeavor. I see there being uh, a number of missteps yeah, that could uh, actually yeah. be quite interesting. Oh, so there's plenty of ways it could go wrong. If yeah. you, when you saw talk about missteps, that, that's yes. uh, um, yeah, yeah. I guess that's one of the fundamental differences between you and I is that I live with the illusion that this is actually headed somewhere, and you live with the illusion that it isn't. <laughs> well, I don't even consider the illusion that it's headed somewhere. I think that's a kind of tertiary thing. It's a bit like deities, you know? Well, I mean, it's a bit like a lot of things, yes. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. Well, that's all right. Like deities I said, it, and absolutes just seem to be not, you know, not applicable to my kind of day-to-day existence. So. Wait, say that again? Deities and absolutes seem to be not particularly... And, and did I usher either of those words? Um, you've Well, you have the Bob narrative. Oh, yeah, but come on. Yes. <laughs> I mean, do you actually think you can talk reasonably about this stuff, Tom, seriously? Well, aside from talking to you, perhaps not in good company. <laughs> yeah. See, I think, I think that even discussion of the concept of God is pretty much foolish. Yes. Well, we are in agreement. Although, <laughs> let's not tell those atheists, because... They are also caught by the same paradox. Absolutely. I've said it many times. Anyway, so, Heron, I think we're naturally wrapping this thing up. Um, unless you have something else like you want it. to throw out there. But, uh, <clears throat> no, no, I'm still staring at these big red eyes from that frog. Man, it's quite compelling. Mm. Well, when you start licking the screen, then I'll start getting worried. <laughs> okay, well, all right. Have a um, good evening. Okay, good night. See ya. <laughs>